precious as the leaves on the trees. Its truth was admitted with more of the craven reluctance of fear than with the stern joy that a warrior should feel in finding an enemy within reach of his blow. The news had been brought, toward the decline of a day in midsummer, by an Indian runner, who also bore an urgent request from Monroe, the commander of Fort William Henry, a work on the shore of the Holy Lake, for a speedy and powerful reinforcement. After the first surprise of the intelligence had a little abated, a rumor was spread through the entrenched camp, which stretched along the margin of the Hudson, forming a chain of outworks to the body of the fort itself, that a chosen detachment of fifteen hundred men was to depart, with the dawn, for William Henry. The next day, the heavy sleep of the army was broken by the rolling of the warning drums, whose rattling echoes were heard issuing on the damp morning air out of every vista of the woods, just as day began to draw the shaggy outlines of some tall pines of the vicinity on the opening brightness of a soft and cloudless eastern sky. In an instant the whole camp was in motion, the meanest soldier arousing from his lair to witness the departure of his comrades, and to share in the excitement and incidents of the hour. The scouts departed. Strong guards proceeded and followed the lumbering vehicles that bore the baggage, and before the gray light of the morning was mellowed by the rays of the sun, the main body of the combatants wheeled into column and left the encampment with a show of high military bearing that served to drown the slumbering apprehensions of many a novice who was now about to make his first essay in arms. While in view of their admiring comrades, the same proud front and ordered array was observed, until the notes of their fifes growing fainter in distance, the forest at length appeared to swallow up the living mass which had slowly entered its bosom. The deepest sounds of the retiring and invisible column had ceased to be borne on the breeze to the listeners, and the latest straggler had already disappeared in pursuit, but there still remained the signs of another departure before a log cabin of unusual size and accommodations, in front of which those sentinels paced their rounds who were known to guard the person of Webb, the English general. A young man, Major Duncan Hayward, in the dress of an officer, conducted to their steeds two females, who, as it was apparent by their dresses, were prepared to encounter the fatigues of a journey in the woods. One, and she was the most juvenile in her appearance, though both were young, permitted glimpses of her dazzling complexion, fair golden hair, and bright blue eyes to be caught as she artlessly suffered the morning air to blow aside the green veil which descended low from her hat. The other, who appeared to share equally in the attentions of the young officer, concealed her charms from the gaze of the soldiery with a care that seemed better fitted to the experience of four or five additional years. It could be seen, however, that her person, though moulded with the same exquisite proportions, of which none of the graces were lost by the travelling dress she wore, was rather fuller and more mature than that of her companion. No sooner were these females seated than Hayward sprang lightly into the saddle of the war-horse, when the whole three bowed to General Webb, who, in courtesy, awaited their parting on the threshold of his cabin, and, turning their horses' heads, they proceeded at a slow amble, followed by their train, toward the northern entrance of the encampment.
As they traversed that short distance, not a voice was heard amongst them, but a slight exclamation proceeded from the younger of the females as their Indian runner, Magua, glided by her unexpectedly and led the way along the military road in her front. Quickly recovering from the alarm which induced the exclamation, and laughing at her own weakness, she inquired of the youth who rode by her side, "'Are such spectres frequent in the woods, Hayward? Or is this sight an especial entertainment ordered on our behalf?' "'Yon Indian is a runner of the army, and after the fashion of his people he may be accounted a hero,' returned the officer. "'He has volunteered to guide us to the lake, by a path but little known, sooner than if we followed the tardy movements of the column, and by consequence more agreeably.' I like him not, said the lady, shuddering, partly in assumed, yet more in real terror. You know him, Duncan, or you would not trust yourself so freely to his keeping. Say rather, Alice, that I would not trust you. (laughs) I do know him, or he would not have my confidence, least of all at this moment. He is said to be a Canadian, too, and yet he served with our friends the Mohawks, who, as you know, are one of the six allied nations— He was brought amongst us, as I have heard, by some strange accident in which your father was interested, and in which the savage was rigidly dealt by. But I forget the idle tale. It is enough that he is now our friend. But he stops. The private path by which we are to journey is doubtless at hand. Manifest no distrust, or you may invite the...